Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi, friends. Welcome to our discussion of season one, episode nine of The Crowded Room. Let's do a round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Rachel. Hi, I'm Yulia. Hi, I'm Kimberly. And I'm Kate. So this episode is entitled Family. It's written by Greg Lessons and Akiva Goldsman and directed by Mona Fastfold. So the episode starts out with Candy staring out the window, obviously completely lost in thought as her son's future hangs in the balance. The phone is ringing off the hook. Nobody's picking it up. Seems like it's her household duty to pick up the phone. But she obviously lies to Marlon about it being a magazine salesman. And then we learn in the next scene at the hospital where the phone is ringing off the hook that it is, of course, Stan, Danny's defense lawyer. The phone continues ringing when she gets home that night, prompting her asshole husband to accuse her of cheating. Though after he picks it up, he just instructs her not to answer it until the after the trial's over. And I'm like really surprised that they didn't just take the phone off the hook. That would decrease the noise and stress <laughs> considerably. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> This is back in the day when you can actually just do that. Just... Right, exactly. Yeah, take it off the receiver. Just If you're really not taking any calls, there's an answer. Exactly. If he's telling her don't answer the phone, it's like, yeah, just take it off the hook. <laughs> Yeah, I am impressed, though, with Stan's devotion. I love that Stan is spending his entire day just, like, calling her repeatedly. It's kind of cute. Mm -hmm. It's important. Do you think Marlon knows it's Stan, or does he just, is it just guessing? See, like, it's weird, because if he was, in fact, accusing her of an affair, if you picked up the phone and, like, nobody says anything, I feel like that usually is confirmation of an affair. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. But maybe he asked for her. I don't know. Or maybe Marlon just came to his senses and realized, you know, what would obviously be going on right now. I don't know. It's a good question, though. But I guess he could be thinking it's a, it's a reporter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is what I was wondering, like, because when we see in the next scene that she's, like, hiding all the newspaper articles and photos of, um, of Danny, that mm -hmm. um, he wants her to, well, to not get in contact with the whole situation at all like yeah I, I think that you see that too later in the episode when she like turns off the um the news when mm -hmm. he gets home yeah. to try and pretend like she's not watching the trial of her son you know mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous but obviously right. she, he has discouraged her from having any contact with Danny and just another reason he's a complete asshole I like that the I don't like but <laughs> It's obvious that the under the bathroom counter behind the cleaning products is a very safe space to hide things from somebody like Marlon. That oh, I love that. I that's a really good point. <laughs> that Marlon would never go to to where the cleaning products are, so it's a very safe place to hide something you don't want him to find. Right. Yeah. Like it's nice to see her holding the picture of her son and silently sobbing because you know finally we get. I mean, we know she cares. We can see that she's torn, right? <laughs> but yeah. she just—it's not nearly enough. Like, I kind of really hate her in this episode. Yeah. I really, really, yeah. like, can't deal with the fact that she hasn't visited him or spoken to him. I think that it, it speaks to what you've said before, Kate, about how Danny had been idolizing his mother. Because we're finally seeing her not through his lens. Right. We're yeah. seeing her as she actually is. And so that's... um. It, that's being revealed now and later on in the episode about how, what, you know, the truth of her character. Yeah, it's very different than his initial memories of her. Mm, yeah. But it's also like kind of a different situation because I remember when like we got all those flashbacks uh, of Danny's memories that it has mostly just been these two without any um, men involved. So, I mean, it's quite different. I think because like I was kind of surprised in this episode with uh with Candy because like in the first episode she was scolding Marlon right mm -hmm. um when he wanted Danny to come out of the bathroom and and she's like getting at Marlon because mm -hmm. she's she has moments where she stands up to him but I don't know that that's accurate because it's Danny's memory and I don't know that she would have acted like that I don't trust that memory of her as being yeah accurate because we know what she let him do throughout the years you know so i doubt mm -hmm. she would have said on hand you yeah 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 that's what i meant is like in, in this yeah. episode it really it really made you feel like okay um she's really different from what we've seen of her even though like compared to the older memories of danny when it was really just those two and he was way younger now probably that's also a point 
of you think like a child child's memory is also like more idealizing than like an adult's memory yeah right and she seemed much more alive in danny's memories when he was a yeah was a young young boy maybe I think he was maybe like eight or something in, in the flashbacks. Yeah, I think around there. In episode five. Yeah, agreed. She's like, um, she's a much duller gray in reality than how he had painted her for us as a child, whether that was accurate or just his memory, which I think is probably his memory. Okay, it's showtime. Court day has finally arrived and there's a montage of Danny trading in prison garb for the jacket Raya got him. He struggles with a tie a bit, but he manages, and then he gets bussed to court along with a bunch of other very nicely dressed inmates. Uh, the bailiff walks him in, and Stan immediately gives him shit about his tie, and that made me sad. Says he told Raya to get him a clip on, but Stan reties it himself, ignoring Danny's protest that he did a fine job. He points out the jury's not here yet. None of these people or what they think matters. Let's get it right before they arrive. Uh, I would also like to point out here that he didn't have a decent father to teach him how to tie a tie. So once again, fuck Marlon. Also, I wondered, what are the optics? Like, he's giving him a hard time about how he tied his tie. But what are, what did the optics look like that he ties his tie in front of the entire courthouse? Yeah, but the jury wasn't there yet. Yeah, but everybody, I don't know. I know, I know. The jury is the one that matters. But I just, I just wondered about that. I was like. Also, I didn't think it looked better than before. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> I didn't see much of a difference either, honestly. Yeah. No. <laughs> Wait, actually, you made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> or, or would it even make it, I don't know, is he trying to make it look endearing that Danny is needs him to tie his tie? Or was there anything behind that at all other than optics of, I want his tie to look better? Yeah, I think he just wanted his tie to look better. And he doesn't yeah. think that it matters that other people see it. He's just, when the jury comes out, I want it to look better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that Danny didn't like the optics of it you know, right. for the rest of the courtroom. But sure. Stan didn't care. Yeah, it makes him look much younger than he is. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody would like that, you know. And I think he did a fine job too. But Patty issues her opening statement. There is undeniable proof in this case. The only thing that there isn't is doubt. The only reason that this isn't a murder trial is because Daniel Sullivan is a lousy shot. I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but we recently finished podcasting Your Honor with Brian Cranston, which you should watch, where Carmen Ajogo played the defense lawyer. She's obviously a fantastic lawyer on screen, but I much preferred her hair in Your Honor. (laughs) Just a sign of the times, not a slight to the styling. I know. (laughs) I love the styling in the show, honestly. But I digress. She points out that multiple personality disorder is just a desperate reach, not even a recognized disorder. And don't we all wish we could blame all our mistakes on an altar? Imagine the justice system then. It will undermine our entire reality. We need personal responsibility for this world to function. It made me nervous because she did a really good job. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job pointing out the precedent it could set for fu- in the future. Anybody could make up a story like this and claim it was an altar and get off because it's not my, I didn't do it. She made a very good case for her side. So overall, you know, I, I understand that this is a real mental illness condition that that a person can have. But especially at that time, at that point in time, when it's something that's very misunderstood, she's definitely playing into that. And uh, she did her job well. Yeah, I felt like her speech was very fierce. She made a lot of jokes, like instantly. Yeah, well, she made the joke about Sally Field because Sally Field had been in that movie. Yeah. Was it called Sybil? Sybil. And so then she says the joke about the flying nun and that gets a laugh from the jury. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like... She's very, not just like professional, but also like from a perspective of a human being. Like, like she's really comfortable in her position. Mm-hmm. She's confident. Yeah, she's really confident and also um, outgoing. And she has like a magnetic pool, I thought. Like, and, and personable. I can agree that I thought like, oh my God, how they are going to yeah. win this case at all. Exactly. That's it made me nervous. I was like, wow, she's making really good points. Yeah, and she's right. This is like the whole kind of legal system of the US is at stake with this. Right. And now Mr. Camiso for the defense. He takes a long moment, draws a long breath to capture the jury's rapt attention. He starts listing keywords from Patty's opening. Indisputable, undeniable, irrefutable. Here's a bedrock principle for you. He's innocent. He has the presumption of innocence, as is his right. And then he states the most important fact clearly. Danny Sullivan didn't shoot anybody. 
he was there. He admits he was there, but he didn't pull the trigger. He's a good kid, but he's a sick kid. He has alters because he was hurt in unimaginable ways that literally shattered his mind into pieces. His illness is rare, but it's a result of being sexually abused as a child. It's how he survived as a child. Putting Danny in jail for this crime would be like putting you in jail for a crime that I committed. The prosecution was right. This is about responsibility, but it's about community responsibility. Everybody has failed this child, his family, his friends, his teachers, his parents especially. Now is our chance to do right by him, to send him to get the help he needs. He won't be off the hook. He will just be at a mental institution instead of a jail. So I thought he did a good job in his opening. He did. As well. No, that's what I put in my notes was in all caps, good job, because this was where I exhaled. It was like, okay, because he's also very competent on his side. So I felt like this was at at least a trial where both sides were going to get um, the best of the best representation and hopefully come to whatever the, the correct honest outcome is because you know that's that's always the variable i guess when you have a court case is like to make sure that you have equal representation on both sides so i think they're they're both very good at their job they're competent attorneys and um this made me feel better at because he gave such a good opening statement that i was like okay danny's in good hands so i felt i felt better and i was glad that he flipped the um the joke around because you know he pointed out the joke she made about the flying nun and sort of this this sort of like puts the jury in in check because they laughed at it and he says, you know, it's all well and good to make jokes about the flying nun. It's easy to do that, but he's encouraging them to keep an open mind, which is hard. And I thought that was a really excellent point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also felt like he addressed more their conscience than um, Patricia did. Uh-huh. Is more like not just like talking about the like legal point of this case but also like talking about okay Danny this is this is the human this is mm-hmm. his life that will be changed with with this trial right I just really liked uh, Stan's the last line that he had how he said that everybody has failed this kid I thought it was a really good mm-hmm. way to talk to the jury to you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. side with him yeah yeah I thought it was interesting that Stan was clearly painting Danny as the victim or as a victim yeah in his speech and he was um you could hear that he has a lot of empathy for danny and uh when you compare his speech to to the da's uh where she makes jokes about danny's mental health basically yeah good point and i understand that the context back in 1979 is obviously very different but if you made a speech like that in court today it probably not go over very well make you look very good mm-hmm. yeah that's a very good point yeah mm-hmm. she is making a joke out of his mental instability so good point and raya compliments stan on his opening as well afterwards but he's like clearly stressed as because if they can't get someone to testify on danny's behalf they're done candy won't pick up the phone as we've already seen but still raya sympathizes with candy maybe it's just too much so much guilt that she can't even accept it and raya reestablishes that she can't testify that danny was abused because does the hippocratic oath apply to psychiatry do you guys know oh yeah i don't know but anyway danny has never told her that he was sexually abused only adam I would think being able to tell the court that his brother, Adam, was abused would help their case, but they don't really bring up that option. Mm-hmm. I was also wondering uh, when um, Stan made his opening points that he, he right out mentioned the abuse to the jury, right? Right. And yeah. it was kind of, it, it, it was supposed to be Danny, pre- like Danny was the Danny present in the room, right? It was... Or do you think it was one of his alters? Like, does Danny himself know about the abuse? Was it the first time he heard about this? So I'm trying to remember when we were seeing the episodes where we were only getting Danny's um, answers to Raya mm-hmm. if she brought up sexual abuse directly. Like, um, well, no, because that doesn't really come up until later when he is fully engaged that he has these alters mm-hmm. but uh yeah as himself yeah I'm, i thought so he did ask once he said are you implying that like i was abused too okay you know mm-hmm. when he's talking about adam so I, I, the implication has definitely been made obviously stan is stating it a lot more clearly than he's previously yeah he's stating it as a fact right like 
you know, it's something that happened. And I was wondering if what, what like Danny thought it. Well, and as Danny, it was explained to Danny by his alters. And I think it was Jack who told him that it was Danny's trauma of what happened to Adam, Adam being abused that caused Danny to split. Mm -hmm. That's how it was explained to Danny. And so I think he knew that it was a factor feeding into his, his condition, but it kind of threw Danny a little bit like Kate just said, yeah. when he realized that Raya was implying that he was the one mm -hmm. who had received the abuse. Cause that was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. It was Adam. He can write it off in his mind as, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, if he wants to, as like, it certainly counts as abuse being present while your brother is sexually sure. abused, you know? So I don't, I think that it's probably not going to like trip him up. Especially because Adam was taking it for him. Like Adam was standing it, standing in for him. Right. Exactly. So it just adds to guilt that you would probably experience. Right. And even before uh, what happened with Marlene and, and Adam, uh, we see we saw the scene with uh, Danny and his teacher. Yeah. So how do we know right. for sure that there wasn't anybody else before that? Yeah. Right. Because like Raya points out, mm -hmm. unfortunately, like people that are abused are often abused by multiple. Multiple times. Right. Predators. Yeah. Anyway, Stan asks Raya to try to get Candy to testify. And when he asks, doesn't a mother have to love her son? Raya sadly answers no. But in this case, that's what we have going for us. She does love her son. You guys, you guys know how I feel about Candy. But uh, <laughs> she just she doesn't love him anywhere near enough. I hate seeing anybody put their husband above their children, obviously. And I know it happens all the time. And I get that she has her own trauma reasons. But Raya's sympathy with Candy annoys me. I do not share it. Do you think it's a tactic? Like an approach. An approach to to get her to talk is to put forth this sympathetic. Yeah, I mean, if she were talking to Candy right now, I could buy that. But she's talking to Stan, you know. Oh, she talks right. to Stan a few times <laughs> in this episode, like with a lot of sympathy for Candy. You're right. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe it's because Raya is not a fantastic mom. I thought about that too, like that she can, uh, like, obviously, she's not in the same position as Candy, but she certainly pro would not earn uh, the Mother of the Year award. <laughs> right. Yeah. She's got to rationalize in her head somehow. Her and But I mean, like being a mom is really hard. There are a lot of expectations, especially if you're a working mother, like you cannot split yourself into a half like full-time job and still like 100% taking care of your kid and well and it sounds right. like her mom is her mother is is the one stepping in to help out with her mm -hmm. child most of the time she's so lucky to have her mother mm -hmm. but I don't think that Candy has had anybody no. uh, who helped her at all Candy has had nobody right. except for like shitty partners yeah. husbands or whatever so yeah um, but yeah, that, I guess that's probably why Raya is a little more sympathetic than I am. Not that I'm a great mom, but I am better than those two, which is very low bar. Um, now we've got Marlon on the stand. You can see in Danny's face how obviously traumatized he is to even see his rapist, which reminds me of Ariana telling Danny that she felt as if her rapist was on top of her 100% of the time. And now we know. Now we can put a face to that rapist. Marlon tells the court his I'm an amazing guy story. All I do is help kids. I wish Stan would point out that maybe it's just his proximity to defenseless children that he loves about his job, but he doesn't. And then in stark contrast to Marlon's own sainthood, he paints a picture of Danny as a violent drug dealer, an abuser, a thief. When Patty tosses him another softball, inquiring why he didn't report Danny to the authorities, Marlon, of course, takes the opportunity to reveal that he loves Danny so much, like his own son, and all he wanted was to protect him. Asshole. I love Raya's reaction in the background. Like, yes. <laughs> just like rolling her eyes. And it's like, yeah. Just uh, not buying a single word that he's saying. Yeah. Just he's totally manipulating the entire mm -hmm. court, the everybody. But I think the reason that he knows how to do it, well, aside from him probably being a narcissist, is that since he sort of works in the system. Yeah, that's true. In the juvie oh, yeah. with the kids. Yes. Uh, which also gives him access to trouble and easily manipulated teenagers right mm -hmm. yeah but you're right he probably actually goes to court in relation to he may i don't know yeah to these cases that's a great point so he's used to it i was gonna say too like the fact that he does work in that job is very favorable for him because the jury you know would see him as a good dude like helping 
kids in that environment though right all right on paper he sounds great yeah and he he does a good i mean he's smart in that he brings that up his work at the juvie center working with kids he's just offering that up as part of his manipulation like look at what i do every day i'm working with these troubled kids and he he makes the comparison that the kids still have a chance and he feels like it's his duty to you know help them because they're still kids but danny is you know a young adult and it's it's mm. he's harder to change or whatever but even though he's not that old like right he's, i think he's like 21 yeah he i think yeah. he was 18 when uh the when the show started so like right but he's still a young adult still young mm -hmm. yeah obviously back home candy's watching the news the prosecution apparently called nine witnesses to testify that danny was the shooter that day on top of the video they definitely um have the proof and Marlon walks in. She quickly turns it off because God forbid she wonder how her kid is doing in court. But Marlon knows she was watching and he has the audacity to ask how he looked. And Candy finally shows some anger towards him here. Is he being a narcissist here? Like, did I look good on TV or is he asking if he was convincing? I think there was like little cues throughout the episode about him saying like, about being like a bit vain kind of how he looked, you know, how he was like, stop feeding me so much bacon or like. Yeah, good point. I thought it was like it had to do with the suit because it was a little too like too short. Yeah. He mentions it being tight. Yeah, initially I was wondering if it was Danny's suit actually, and she just had to like you know change it a little, but because they look kind of similar, I think like from the color. I don't think Danny would own a suit, probably. But in answer to your question, Kate, when he said, how did I look? My first reaction was that he thought he he was intending, like, literally, how did I look? Yeah. And I was like, God, really? That's what you're focusing on? And, and, right. and which totally echoed how she reacted. You're kidding me, right? Right. You know, for all of her faults, I was appreciative that she threw that back in his face because I was like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, agreed. Um, later on, the phone starts ringing again, and this time she's had enough. She picks it up, screaming at Stan that she won't testify right before she realizes it's actually Danny on the other end. So that was nice, yelling at him. She wasn't going to testify for him. And then she guiltily tells her son that she meant to come see him in jail. Oops. Like the way I would tell Dave I meant to take the trash out this morning and forgot. Uh, this woman not even visiting her son in jail. Insane. Anyway, Danny only manages to say I'm sorry before he has to hang up. Clearly further hurt to the point of not being able to even talk to his mom. I thought Emmy Rossum was like amazing in this episode. She's been obviously really good, but we saw more of her. I felt like this episode more of the not like the Danny flashbacks kind of happy vibe, right? Or you know the real candy. Depressed. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I thought she did an amazing job. Yeah. But that call finally got through to her. And the next scene is Candy taking the train to court. On the steps of the courthouse, she watches somebody being interviewed by the news, whose opinion of the whole situation is that Danny is faking it all. And inside, we get Angelo on the stand, hearing the gun incident through his own words, conveniently forgetting the attempted forced blue job. But he gets one of the court's only laughs when Stan asks him if Danny's ever seemed normal to him. Normal? That boy's nuts. Craziest son of a bitch I know. And then the court like cracks up laughing. But that is what Stan's goal was. So he has established that he seems crazy to people that know him. I just wanted to ask, Danny doesn't remember like being other people really, does he? Like he remembers sort of like about Ariana. And My impression is it takes a lot of work for him to remember it. Like yeah. he has to really like try and concentrate. But also like uh, because he's always talking about himself as being a bystander in these situations like when we get this situation with when johnny beat up angelo he said okay danny himself was still present there but it was not danny who um broke the nose of angelo it was johnny so i i get the feeling that he remembers bits and pieces like um with all those altars he has mm -hmm. but like cannot really or like tries to put them together in one coherent story but fails and the only one who can actually remember everything is probably jack because he has control about over this light bulb in the barn who's in the light yeah I was just wondering, like, could Raya say about more about these situations? But then again, I remember it probably makes him look even crazier, air quotes. So maybe it's not the best. Isn't that the point? Reveal what happens in this situation. Right. You mean when Raya is the witness? I, yeah, I mean, because when Danny, Danny talks to Raya in the other episode, obviously about what happened, like when he was Johnny, like with Angela, and when he was with whoever, 
So, you know, it makes me wonder, like, why wasn't that said? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a, like the whole Raya's testimony. I thought that more would be said. Mm-hmm. Um, back to Angelo's testimony, though, because um, he makes I mean, uh, it's not um, hard to believe that Angelo might be perjuring himself on the stand. But the fact that it sounds like he makes it sound like he just dropped by and Danny immediately just starts attacking him with the bat because did he, does he make clear on the stand? I cannot remember if they if they make clear that he actually breaks into the house, that he broke through a window and and was breaking and entering into the house. Did that come up in his testimony? Definitely not. Yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, it seems like the details are being like glossed over and yeah unless we just didn't get shown like all of their testimony right it's just like these things that just didn't happen and he says what he thinks but obviously mm-hmm. Ryan knows more you know what I mean mm-hmm. like right. Danny doesn't remember now that he's in court like why yeah I mean I think like, it was just a dramatic choice mostly it's like I don't think that like any of the people who were actually testifying had just like two sentences and that's all, you know. Right. Yeah. I think Kimberly's point is they could do a better job of his defense if they yeah. shared these yeah, exactly. details. So I don't think it's something you wouldn't show on screen and you should defend him with all of the everything you have. Everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that like we don't know if if the jury uh, or anybody else in the courtroom, aside from Raya and, and Danny and probably Stan, even though that Angelo is a drug dealer and that he made Danny as Johnny. Yeah, exactly. Give him blowjobs. Right. And then he broke into the house and I don't know what he was going to do to Danny, but he was possibly going to kill Danny. He brought a bat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can undermine that witness. So is he really like a, a credible witness? Yeah, at all? exactly. Right. Right. So why isn't this talked about at all? Yeah, that's a good point, Kimberly. I agree. Predictably, we have the other witness to the Angelo gun scene up next. It's Annabelle. She seems a bit sullen, like still angry, not particularly sympathetic to Danny, which surprised me a bit if she really cared for him, which she claims she did. And she's now given an explanation for everything. I would think she'd have a little more sympathy for him. But she does remember Danny's sweet, shy side to the court and then admits he was sometimes not shy. He was a little all over the place. Dan enters Danny's drawing of her into evidence, says he really must have cared for her. And it's after that that she emotionally admits she cared about Danny too. And Stan asks how she reconciles the Danny of the gun night with this Danny who drew the picture. She just shakes her head and he says it doesn't seem like the same person. She agrees. Patty didn't like that, so she asked for another go. Was the encounter with Mr. Ruiz the only time Danny was ever violent? And Annabelle remembers back in high school when he beat the shit out of Bill and another guy. At the time she wrote it off as a freak incident, Bill probably deserved it. Almost certainly, I would say. That's me. But now Annabelle's not so sure. After witnessing the Angelo gun scene, she's seeing everything through a different lens. How come Angelo didn't deserve to be beaten up by Danny or shot by Danny? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like he broke into the house when they were sleeping. Right. Yeah, you'd think that she would understand that that is defense. Yeah, he was defending her too. Angelo also tried to attack her. Yeah, didn't he grab her in the closet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her whole demeanor bothered me. Like, how is that less scary than Danny coming to her defense? Right. I know. I'm a thousand percent with you. I have not understood this, Annabelle, anything. Maybe it's because his behavior changed at the same time. Because it wasn't only that he's like intervened and protected her from Angelo and actually attacked Angelo. It's that his whole demeanor changed. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, he was talking with this different accent and he was a lot more assertive and violent and strong and maybe that's what scared her mm-hmm. rather than just him being violent and attacking the person who was attacking them i think so too yeah yeah but i was wondering why she didn't make the point that danny's entire entire demeanor including the accent changed yeah a very valid point good point yeah because i think that was left out pretty notable right that would have been really helpful too and stan knows about the altars stan knows about the exact uh-huh why didn't he ask? Yeah, he could have asked about that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Stan, you know what? I gave him a lot. I, I think, you know, his opening statement was great. But yeah, some of his questioning and is, has 
left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's only he's solely focused on Candy admitting that there was yeah. sexually abuse instead of all these other things. Exactly. exactly. Everything is hinging on Candy's testimony. Like Candy is the one who is going to bring it all home if we can only get Candy and ignoring the fact that there's all these other people who have also witnessed other things that could also testify to his behavior. Well, at least I was kind of, well, not happy with it. Like, satisfied with the fact that um, they at least established that both Angelo and Annabelle kind of made it clear to the jury that Danny, like not mindset, but mind is not common, you know, like Angelo said, he's nuts. Yeah. Annabelle said he's all all over the place. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like that's just barely scratching the surface. And and that that like it should have given them a segue to dig deeper. It's like, tell me what what do you mean by that? What do you mean he was all over the place? Give me examples or something like that. But they kind of just left it at that. Like yeah, yeah, Angelo yeah. says that guy's nuts, and that's the end of the scene. I agree completely with with um the unsatisfaction of the defense. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Raya corners Candy after court at the stairs, offers to get her son to see him, to talk to him. Of course, Candy turns her down. And then she tries another angle. There's a bar nearby where the two women could talk. But Candy's response is, I don't know what you people want from me, which is the most ridiculous response she could have chosen out of all the responses exactly. in all of the universe, in my opinion. You know what they want from you, dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up the damn phone, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) Defend your fucking son. Tell him the truth. Mm -hmm. It was very annoying to me. She chose those words. But she pieces out at that point. And she's so, like, angry at her. It's annoying to me. Not Raya. Candy's angry at Raya. Right. I love the huge statue outside the courtroom in this next scene where Raya and Stan are walking and talking. Stan's bitching about Candy and Raya once again is supportive of Danny's mom. At least she showed up today and Stan's like, wait. So she comes to court, sees her kid in the situation that her husband caused and she goes home and stays with him, which he's like me. That's how I'm thinking about it. Raya responds that the human brains are just not conditioned to be alone, tells us about this area in our brain that literally lights up when we make human connections to make us feel like we're safe. But sometimes those people aren't safe. She points out that most people find other ways to avoid the pain, like booze and pills. This is a good time for Stan to pipe up, and he does. Those help, he says. But she says sometimes even the bad people help. Fear of pain is worse than the pain, like Jack says. We've all been hurt, some more than others, and we have a tendency to stay in relationships, even bad ones. Not to leave what we have and what we know rather than risk a worse hurt. But we have a choice. We just have to remember to keep making it. To remember that other people hurt us, but they can also help us. To reach out is a way out of pain. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's hard. And then the voiceover shows us Danny trying, Stan drinking and doing drugs, Marlon comforting Candy's burnt hand. But Candy also goes into Danny's room and cuddles his stuffed animal while Rai is saying, we need to ask for help. We don't have to be alone. Was that whole, like, spiel? It was directed at all of them, I guess, but mainly directed at how we should see Candy? Like how we should see her being, yeah, um, you know, staying with Marlon to we stay. I think Raya says we stay with the hurt we know to risk being hurt again. Right. I think she's, as usual, saying we should be understanding of Candy and why she sticks with Marlon. And you see him like comforting her when she burned her hand. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, it's it's sad, but it's it's a very common thing where people stay in abusive relationships and situations because every, you know, it's it's like the cycle because it's like there's the abuse, but then there's it's like they're not abusive, they're not horrible a hundred percent of the time. And they, right. they start to focus on the 15% of the time or less when they do something nice or they do something kind, or like the the moment where he's putting ice on her burn or or whatever it was. It's it's like those are things that you cling to and it's what keeps you staying in the cycle also you know desperation and and fear and uh what do i do if i leave and you know there's there's millions of reasons and and candy doesn't really seem to have a support support system outside of marlin i, I mean i honestly we don't see her with any family um other than her son and we don't see friends like you know some people right. maybe they can like just leave and go somewhere safe where they know they'll be safe but maybe she just feels like she doesn't have that like she's stuck yeah Yeah. i mean it's very daunting i know right the extent of the abuse it's like candy's case is really interesting to me because she has a secure job 
too. She's like, yes, right. She's not like really financially depending on Marlin at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's got, she's a nurse. I would think that would be. So, yeah. So what you just mentioned, Rachel, with the, or what also Raya said in her, um, in her monologue was like that it's more about the human connections and the emotional connections that she's mm. lacking instead of like other circumstances that makes it hard for her to leave him. Right. That was really interesting for me. Well, we saw that, well, assuming that Danny's uh, flashback episode about it was um, somewhat accurate. She was in love with this guy at one point. Like she, she looked genuinely in love with him. And for a while he seemed to provide or what she was lacking, not just the safety and security, but also the emotional connection like you're talking about. So I think every once in a while that is still there in the relationship it, as, as much as it's not there and lacking. She just clings to these moments when it's still there and she still thinks like, well, you know, there's still something in this relationship that she can get out of it. But uh, it's, to me, it's not enough. Yeah. So about not having a support system i was actually thinking that since she seems so different or she seems so different when danny was was a kid that maybe she did have friends but after she got together with marlin yeah um, as people abusive people often do they isolate you from your family and from your friends so it's possible right. she had at least friends but that she's no longer in contact with them because mm. she's been a dutiful wife to to marlin that's what she's been focused on. Yeah, yeah, there's no way he would let her have close friends that she could confide this abuse to anyway. I mean, she cannot even follow the news or the like TV or newspapers on the trial of her own son right. without being afraid of this guy. Yeah, good point. To hide everything from him. Like even the picture of Danny, I guess, because she was cuddling that newspaper scrapping. Uh -huh. and she was hiding it. Yeah. Doesn't she have any picture of her own son? Like, uh, Did anyone notice on Stan's like fridge or something? Did Was that a picture of him in the military? Yes. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah was like yeah. three people, right? Like I think yeah. him and two others. I was wondering about that too. I think it was Vietnam War, right? Beginning of 70s, something. I think it would be Vietnam. Vietnam. I think yeah. it would have had to have been Vietnam because I don't think I don't think Stan's old enough to have been in Korea. Right. Right. I guess so too. Yeah. Well that must have been the Vietnam War picture of him and two of his buddies. Yeah. Next day at court is Jerome painting a picture of Ariana as this vivacious, iridescent force. And when the judge asks if he sees Ariana in here in the courtroom, Jerome looks at Danny and says, no, he's not her. Everything about him is different. The way he sits, curled in on himself, and his eyes. The eyes give up everything. I know, Danny's straight. Details. When Jerome tells him he found a stranger when he went to visit Danny at Rikers, we see Danny open his hand. He's brought the St. Christopher medal that Jerome gave him with him to court. And then Patty's cross immediately gets to the juice. Did you have sex with a defendant? And where? The men's room. How romantic. What a bitch. She points out, though, that he never shared a meal with a defendant, met his family. Their most intimate moments were in a bathroom stall. And Jerome gets very defensive. He knew Ariana. Patty implies that Danny could just be another closeted gay man coming out to the clubs to live out their secret identities at night. I thought she was going to make Jerome cry. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like he was going to cry. Yeah, I could see that. Right. This seemed like another wasted testimony. Like, I felt like Jerome was the best witness they'd mm -hmm. had because he actually believes yeah. in... Um, Danny's mental condition and like he he confirmed he saw it with his own eyes that when he came to visit Danny even though the person looks the same he knew he wasn't seeing the person who he was in love with mm -hmm. and it's just it's another example of an opportunity Stan could have had to really get this guy to talk and and ask him a lot of questions about that and get his true testimony about um, what is the difference between Ariana and Danny, they both embody the same physical body, but how does Jerome know that they are two different people to him? I was actually going to say the opposite, which is interesting that we have different, like, I was going to say this is kind of what I thought the other testimonies would be more like. Mm. I feel like Jerome did say, like, he knew Ariana and Ariana wasn't there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, like, his mannerisms and 
stuff like that. Like he did do that, but because um, the DA was so easily able to break it down, I don't know. I felt like um, it was a good testimony that was too easily flipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt so too. Like he's the only one who differentiated between Ariana and Danny mm-hmm. in comparison to the other testimonies we heard before. But still, everything was quashed again by the DA, you know. Mm-hmm. So even though this was the probably best witness on the defendant's side until now it's it still didn't have the effect that it was supposed to have unfortunately yeah because I remember being really excited when he was testifying because I was like yes no he gets it he's a great yeah this is a great witness and he was doing well he was really well at describing also the different personalities yeah yes exactly I don't know if her cross for me dismissed like that, like tore that apart and still seemed to like remain. I mean, obviously she did a good job of like undermining his character, having sex with men in bathrooms at clubs. It's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, you also need to think about the, the times we're talking about. Like nowadays it would have been okay. Yeah, yeah, come on. But like it has been the 70s or 80s. I mean, yeah, yeah. I definitely undermined his character, but I still yeah. think that like he did a good job saying like those are two separate people. Yeah. And I was thinking that when Patty started questioning Jerome and she clearly brought up the, the homosexuality aspect of the situation. And so clearly that I uh, looked up exactly when homosexuality was removed from the list of psychiatric disorders. Oh, wow. Do you guys know when that was? No, but it's shockingly not. 1973. Oh, my God. Wow. So only six years before. Wow. So would, would people's attitudes have really changed? No. Yeah. No, or of course not. It's really someone who thinks that Jerome is actually someone who has a some kind of a right. psychiatric disorder. Right. His own psychiatric, yeah. That's a great point. That's a very good point. That's crazy. It was not that long ago. I'm actually surprised it took Stan this long to corner Candy. Now that she's coming to court, I think that would have been immediately after the first session. But he does corner her, buys her a hot dog, tells her that they're going to lose because he can't have multiple personality disorder if he doesn't have sexual abuse. That's what we need you to prove on the stand. And she gets furious with him. Is he even aware of the accusation he's making right now? Stan pretends she's talking about Marlon, but she clarifies, not about my husband, about me, and storms off. The abuse thing is one thing, but I feel like she could get up on the stand and tell everyone about things that she's seen, like his personality. She's obviously probably met a lot of those personalities. So yeah, it's not even just getting up on the stand to talk about the abuse that happened. It's that as well. I don't understand why. Right. She... They don't have to focus so heavily on the sexual abuse being, you know, usually the thing that causes it. They could just focus on the many witnesses to his changing personalities Mm -hmm. previous to the crime you know Mm -hmm. he's not just claiming it because he's trying to get off the hook because it's been happening for a decade even if someone did get on the stand to testify to the fact that he was sexually abused that does sort of that does back up the opening statement about a cause for multiple personalities but at the same time a lot of people are sexually abused and do not have that condition so they can't hinge the entire thing on the sexual abuse alone so they really should be digging deeper into all of these other experiences that other people have had of witnessing Danny having all these other personalities even if they didn't understand what they were seeing right I agree. They have the right witnesses and they're not asking like any of the right questions, except briefly to Jerome. Now Raya's on the stand explaining one of the things that fascinates me the most about this, the mind's ability to take on new accents, new voices, mastering chess, learning a foreign language, just these crazy advanced skills that the mind can take on and learn and employ convincingly and successfully between the different altars, or even just being fully outgoing and social in one altar. And then like, completely unable to socialize in another altar and it all just like blows my mind and stan asks her if this can happen to anyone and she explains no the conditions for the brain to do this are very specific once again they focus on sexual abuse severe childhood trauma usually sexual at a point in their lives when they're the most vulnerable the most in need of protection they're betrayed usually by someone that they trusted a child's mind isn't equipped to manage all the contradictions so the psyche fractures the child goes away somebody new comes in somebody better equipped to navigate a terrifying world and that's how it begins it's a defense mechanism against horrific unfathomable mobile pain so this is so crazy it's so crazy that he's the one inviting this like problem that they have into court you know 
I'm sure mm-hmm. Patty would ask, but why would he have been the one asking this when they know that they have no proof of it yet? Oh, anyway, um, then Stan asks about Danny. She tells him that she first met Danny at the jail as Johnny. He's a literal escape artist. So when the shackles come out, so does Johnny. So does Johnny. And Patty's aggressive in her cross. Wasn't it Raya who first suggested MPD to Danny? Who pays for her research? Didn't she just get turned down for funding? So this is a make or break moment in your career. You're an ambulance chaser. And then she brings up her sexual relationship with Maddie, too. But the primary point of Patty's cross is this question. Has Danny ever told you he was sexually abused? And Raya hesitates. Obviously, she doesn't want to answer this question. Patty points out it's a yes or no question. And Raya can't say yes because he hasn't. So she just says no. But they could have discussed Adam. Exactly. And how he was sexually abused in close proximity to Danny, which is very traumatic. I, I had the exact same thought. That's the perfect opportunity to bring up his association with sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. From Danny's point of view, it wasn't that there was zero sexual abuse. He just doesn't understand it happening to himself. And he right. he's saying his understanding is that it happened because he split because this was happening to his brother. Right. And he has the guilt for that because, you know, he's doing it for him. That's very fucking traumatic, if you ask me. Well, he is a public defense lawyer. One thought I had on this scene is like that Patty, right? Is her name Patricia? Patty? Yeah, Patricia Richardson, like is really going for, you know, for for the misleading of the witnesses. Mm. I think like she she did that with uh, with Jerome the scene before. And now we see like how she picks apart uh, Mm -hmm. Raya with things that has not much to do with, I mean, the case at hand, like not the facts, but just the backgrounds, you know, so her character. Right. Yeah, her character exactly. So, like, yeah, she's she's she definitely knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good. And then Candy attacks Raya in the diner for losing the case. Dan's falling apart. Raya's just using Danny for her career. And Raya's like, "Why are you here then?" And Candy tells her because she knows who they're going to blame when it's all done. But that's bullshit. It's Raya's fault, not Candy's. And Raya can honestly say her conscience is clear. She's given Candy's son everything that she has. And then she tells Candy about her patient, Anna, who was raped six times by six different men by the time she was 19. There's a phenomenon where victims of sexual abuse, they can get away only to be abused again. It's not bad luck, though. It's victims at young ages are trained to be abused. They give nonverbal cues that are read by the predator as like neon signs. And none of it is under the victim's control. None of it is the victim's fault. She's not only implying, but outright states that she suspects Marlon is not Candy's first abuser. And it's not Candy's fault. Raya doesn't blame her for anything. But if she took the stand, maybe Candy could finally stop blaming herself. And finally, Candy is a little more honest. Marlon, do you know what you're asking? Raya replies, guilt or grief, which one can you bear? I just, the scene made me like really sad. I thought it was really well acted as well. But when they were talking about how she said as children, they're trained to be abused and that just literally killed me. Mm, Yeah. Just thinking about it. And yeah, it was just, it was just awful. It was just a very sad scene. Just heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's unfortunately true. I mean, it's, it is a phenomenon that happens where, you know, I've uh, remember hearing about um, victims of, of sexual abuse, who it did happen to them more than once with different abusers. And they just wondered, like, what is it about me? What is there like a sign on my forehead that says, like, come, please abuse me or something, because they couldn't understand why, like, the same thing kept happening to them. And it's just, it's, it's, I I thought it was a beautiful way that Raya described that tragic fact that, that that this can happen multiple times to the same people and pointing it out to, um, sorry, Candy that Marlon isn't their first abuser. But going back to Candy, her very first instinct when she first comes and finds Raya is to say she knows that they're going to blame her. And it just goes back to everything that Kate's been saying about this is such such a selfish way that she's looking at this. Um, I could understand the, the point of view of if I do this, Marlon's gonna kill me. I could I could understand the fear of that, but her very first focus is, I, you guys are going to blame me. And whether or not she, uh, you know, Raya explains why she's not going to blame her because Candy is a victim as well. But 
it doesn't really seem like I'm sure on some psychological level, Candy is blaming herself. And that's probably where that's coming from. But it's it's like, why is her very first focus that I know you guys are going to blame me rather than what can she do to help her son? Right. Or the consequences to her son. Yeah, it's crazy. And here she's basically blaming Raya and Stan for failing Danny, although she hasn't done anything for Danny during this whole trial or the entire investigation. Yep. The next morning, we're back in Candy's house. She's in her nurse outfit. Since Marlon's suit isn't fitting so well anymore, he gives her shit about making bacon. And then the moment he leaves, she starts packing. And it's such an exciting scene. But she really should take the hangers out of the clothes if she wants the bag to shut. (laughs) Bothered me. Still, she's strong. She's confident. She takes a final empowering look at herself in the mirror. And then she throws the bags in the car and goes. So obviously she's not only going to testify for her son, but she's leaving Marlon. Yes. I mean, let's just take a moment because I was, I was so excited for yeah. like a few seconds. <laughs> I, know. I was so excited. I was just, yes, finally. I, I was right. like typing in all caps. She's packing her shit. Yes. I was so <laughs> proud. I was, I was literally almost crying. I was so proud. Yeah, me too. It didn't last very long, but I was so happy for because she was I I was it was totally the right move to be prepared to just leave. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do this thing, you can't go home. If you're going to do this thing, he is going to absolutely kill her. Like, honestly, if if she does this against him. So it made total sense. Pack all your shit. Be prepared to just leave once you've done it. And I was just so happy until go ahead, Kate. God, I know. No, because like it was extra hopeful for me because I mean, we just kind of picked her apart and whether like she did everything wrong and just thought about herself all the time. And actually seeing her really getting the clue from Raya in the conversation and packing her things up, putting them in the, in the car, then this 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 powerful music playing. And it was, it was like, okay, she now is taking action finally. She's going to get in like the stand for her song. She's taking control. She's yes. confident. She's mm-hmm. taking her life back. Yes. And yes. yeah, so, so yeah, it was an extra powerful move because even though as you as I think you are right that she could have done way more to protect her son or at least anything I think we all need to see her or like at least Raya sees her as a victim too and I think the show wants us to see her as a victim as well so um for all the victims of domestic abuse or whoever's in a toxic relationship this scene kind of like took a big forefront for me in this episode because mm-hmm. she, yeah as you said it was empowering like, yes mm-hmm. so I was I was I had goosebumps I was like yeah. <laughs> I know oh. I know same I had a point to make about the color that Candy was wearing when she when we all believed that she was leaving Marlin uh, it's sort of like a sea flower mint green I'm talking about her coat here um, apparently it is the color of luck, freshness, and renewal, which would actually fit here. Oh, oh that's nice. So promising. It's pretty promising, yeah. Mm. That's interesting though. I like that color. I like to know that. Well, that's about it for the happy part. Alas, in the elevator, she runs into Marlon and he threatens her. What she says is going to change the world she lives in overnight. What kind of mom would allow such a thing? You'll lose your husband, your job, the illusion of who you are. All that's left is what you allowed and you'll lose Danny too. He gets off the elevator and she's shaking and terrified. No longer the confident woman we had just seen. By the way, I actually thought he was like fake at first. I thought he was just like in her brain and she was in thinking of him and imagining it not true interesting he was in the audience in the courtroom so not true at all i was hoping that he actually would die just instantly because of the bacon poisoning yeah (laughs) good like that twist that was foreshadowing to the heart attack he was gonna get later because of all the bacon that's like her slow process like over the years just feeding him so much bacon poisoning him with bacon (laughs) to eventually give him this heart attack that's a twist i can get behind (laughs) Mm -hmm. and candy gets on the stand and she's describing danny good sweet but different too sensitive tender the world's a tough place and we were all each other had and Stan gives her a small warning before the brutal questions begin. Patty objects, judge overrules, and Stan asks again, do you believe Danny was ever sexually abused? And she hesitates. We're all waiting on the edge of our seats for a long time. 
And then she says, no. Oh, unbelievable. I'm so mad. Stan goes to ask it again, and she clarifies, I don't believe he was abused. He asks again, she maintains her lie, and he gives up. No further questions. Patty's quite content. No need to cross. Fuck that bitch. Even Danny, like, just seems shocked. His mom has betrayed him once again, you know? He seemed to really think that she was going to be honest for once, I think. I guess everybody did, because she wasn't going to take the stand otherwise, and then she agrees to take the stand. Yes. Uh, uh, Would Danny expect her to say, I mean, that is... Right, because we don't think Danny accepts. Yeah, Danny hasn't, he doesn't believe that he was abused either. It would seem that subconsciously he has, or maybe it's just because of Adam, but he definitely was disappointed enough that, you know, he gets the binder clip out later. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was wondering the same, actually, Rachel's like, wait, because this is why I was asking this questions at the beginning that when when his his lawyer said he was abused, right? And if he actually remembers that he was abused, or if he still um, thinks that he was just present with an abuse with Adam, and then right. everybody denied that he was like even Raya denied that he was abused. At least he did not um, say that he was. I think Danny is wondering. Danny is probably wondering why she didn't say no, but his brother Adam was. Yeah, because as right. far as that's Danny's point of view is that. Yeah. So he's if he if he looks confused or disappointed or shocked in that moment, it's probably because she's not acknowledging the abuse his brother had. But right. she said she said there was no abuse, right? Not he was not abused. So that would make would make more sense. How did they phrase the question? Do you believe your son Danny was ever sexually abused? Yeah, do you believe Danny was ever sexually abused? So the question is specifically about Danny, and she says, No, I don't believe he was abused. That night, Candy's making a lovely dinner for Marlon. Danny looks lost until he reaches into the mattress and pulls out the binder clip we had wondered about before pulls it out removes the plastic and starts cutting one wrist and then the other if your mom doesn't even love you enough to save you who cares i guess Mm -hmm. he lays down bleeding out and he actually looks like he's maybe finally finding an ounce of peace in killing himself for a moment i don't know i kind of read that on his face but Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking and awful and what a sad episode Uh, it's devastating even though they didn't show it i had to look away because i felt it's almost like you could feel his pain like through the screen and like it was just, I'm just glad they didn't show it because it would have been too much but yeah it was uh made me feel very uncomfortable I felt like this one shot when he's uh taking out the, this clip and and then his hand when they move in it gets all like really kind of like strange looking at just bones or just like you know like you know what happens but it's like the, the focus of the hand gets really blurry and it's just like this strange strange bone-like structures left in this in the shot and I really thought it was like looking super creepy and I like that yeah I think it's kind of sad that you they focused on his hand earlier in the episode holding the St. Christopher protect me like metal oh. and then in the episode ends with him you know oh. with the binder clip in his hand because nobody protected him and killing himself it's just really oh god that's so sad heartbreaking it's perfect what you just also said kate because i was wondering if um at the end of this episode i was wondering if all his altars are gone now like if if nobody in within himself stepped up to stop him from cutting his wrists that's a good point too yeah Hmm. normally they would step up at that point right yeah so alone so like the fact that his mom just abandoned him in the worst way, even worse than probably the not caring about the abuse, but like also stating in a trial that it never happened. Knowing that that's going to send him to jail, you know? Yes, knowing that. Like she knows that the consequences are also extreme. Yeah. So, like one of like the worst betrayal ever, like made all his... Self-preservation mechanisms even 
uh, redundant kind of. Has he done has he done too well too good a job at suppressing them? Because he had been trying to tune out the voices. So is that why nobody comes forward because he's been doing too good a job suppressing them? Maybe. I thought it was kind of strange because I think in the last episode when he gets the binder clip, you see Johnny come back sort of. You don't for mm-hmm. sure. Johnny was the yeah. one who got it, right? Right. But like he had been suppressing them such that none of them were coming. And then Johnny came, I thought. Oh, yeah. Like the first one in a long time. Mm -hmm. And Johnny wouldn't kill himself. No. No. So then what was Johnny getting it for? Because he said just in case. Yeah. I think the handcuffs, like escaping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Picking the lock. That's what I thought then. But I also don't know, because obviously he has something else in mind now. Yeah, I think so, too. If if you like, because he was pulling up the plastic end and like. That's really hard to do, too, by the way, like. Those things are so like tight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like he made it look really easy to get that metal piece out of that plastic vice thing, but it's really hard to do. Very sad episode. All around. Very sad. Why is it called family? Because of candy? I would assume so. Because he didn't have any in the end. I don't know. It's depressing. Yeah, because the fact is, the thing is, like most people say, you cannot choose your family. But mm-hmm. at least the people who are close to you outside of your family. So I took yeah. it for me. It's like, don't really rely on your family if you need them. Because sometimes or they, they will let you down as well. Yeah. Or in some ways, maybe Raya and Stan are more family to him right now than his own blood. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Definitely. Awful as it is. Good question. All right, I think that's a wrap on our discussion of episode nine. Come back next week for the finale. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.